0: Let me tell you how convoluted things work around here. A bunch of years ago, way over 20 years ago, we started working with John Thomas at uh, Living Hope in South Africa. John's son, Victor, we knew as a young man. Well, John falls in love with international missions and he starts The Point, a church in Vancouver. Because we know John and we watched uh, Victor grow up, we started the relationship with The Point in Vancouver and started doing mission trips to to work alongside Victor. Well, John at Living Hope finally retires. Uh, And uh, I use the word finally because if you know John, he's been retiring and still didn't retire even though he doesn't report into the office every day. Uh, but that's a whole other story. Well, Victor goes back to run Living Hope. And because uh, Grace has has grown up in our church and started working with internationals in the greater Nashville area, she gets a heart for missions, and we think that's why she made Mac, but that's, a, that's another story. Um, <laughs> and she and Mac end up Becoming the leaders of the point in Vancouver. What you're working on now is always preparation for what you will be asked to do later. So you need to pay attention to what you're doing now. When you get to what you're doing later, you will understand, oh, that's why I was doing that then. Okay? You're always being prepared for your next assignment. The reward for good work is always more work. And God is strengthening, encouraging, building so that you will be ready for your next assignment. Mac, Grace, intern here, work here, get involved in local missions. That prepares them for the work in Vancouver. On and on it goes, and you are all part of that. Uh, And we're grateful to have work in Canada. I'm grateful we have people who go and work in Canada, because I'm not. It's too cold. Did you see that buffalo got like six feet of snow? Uh Uh-uh. No, no, no. That's God's way of saying, get in your car, keep driving until the waitress calls you hun, Then 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 you can get out. But don't stop. I don't know. I like snow in a postcard. That's beautiful. That's close. I want to get to it. So, <laughs> One way to look at the history of philosophy or thought is that you have th- theses, uh, antithesis, and then synthesis. Uh, you will have the original idea, someone will react to the first idea, and then you will have the third idea that everybody will agree on. That will kind of be a blend of the first two. Uh, Our understanding of knowledge is kind of this. We came out of the Enlightenment so sure of what we know. Uh, uh, We have logic. uh, We have formal training. We have science. We can prove what we know, and we know what we know, and we are sure of what we know. Well, that was then countered by a philosophy that said, well, we're not so sure. Uh, You can have a a set of facts, but those facts then are twisted and molded by your own experience and by your own bias. So you will have the same set of facts, but they will be known very differently because they are processed through us as individuals. Uh, We'll have our own way of responding to the same set of facts. And so that's how you end up in a culture like ours where people will say things like, well, that's your truth. Uh, that's the facts you have through your experience, through your education, and through your own personal biases. And when we when we take those facts and filter it through all that you are, then we end up with a different truth on the other side. As you can imagine, this has made uh, life very difficult. A, a, a philosopher by the name of Michael Polanyi, uh, who was a German chemist who escaped Nazi Germany and uh, then started doing some writing and uh, and research in England uh, in a book called Personal Knowledge took exception to that your truth stuff and said you know that's not true we know what we know even though sometimes we can't say it for instance a hunter in prehistoric times would know there was a tiger in the bush even though he may not have seen the tiger, he would know from everything going on around him at the minute, uh, at that minute, the way the birds were reacting, uh, the way the other animals were reacting, how quiet the jungle was, that there was a large cat somewhere. He knew what he knew, even though he may not be able to tell you what he knew. We know what we know. Even though sometimes we're not able to express it, we know more than we can say. Habakkuk knew more than he could say. He had asked God a hard question. God had given a hard answer. Now what was Habakkuk going to do with what he now knows? We'll pick up reading the first couple of verses out of chapter 2 in Habakkuk. Stand with me in honor of God's word. I will stand at my guard post. I will station myself at the lookout tower. I will watch to see what he will come and say to me and when I should reply about my complaint. The Lord answered me. Write down this vision. Clearly inscribe it on tablet so that one may easily read it. For the vision is yet for the appointed time. It testifies about the end and it will not lie. Though it delays, wait for it since it will certainly come and not be late. His ego is inflated and he is in, without integrity. But the righteous one will live by his faith. The righteous one will live by his faith. This is God's word for God's people. Hear it, believe it, and live. Let's pray together. Like Quebec, we can Read the handwriting on the wall, we know more than we can say. Help us use what we know to get ready for what will yet come. And we pray this in your name. Amen. One of the first things you know when you study the history of Israel is that God placed his people at the four way stop of the ancient world, the promised land is at the intersection of every major trade route of its day. All of the trade coming out of Egypt, going into what is now modern Iraq and Iran, Babylon, came through Jerusalem. All the trade going from Egypt up the coast into what is now modern-day Turkey, all of that passed through Jerusalem. All of these things coming from the far, far east, uh, coming from the west, intersected at Jerusalem. That was why it was such a military necessity to control the four way stop. It would be the same now as, as controlling the Suez Canal or the Panama Canal. Uh, all of the trade routes, all of the world's wealth, went through the, the, the four way stop uh, that was at Jerusalem. That's why you have all of these nations. Taking over Israel throughout their history. And now is one of those times. Babylon has made a move to control this trade route to the four way stop. Egypt has moved now to counter Babylon's strong move. There is a battle. Babylon defeats Egypt, Egypt retreats. And now Babylon turns its sight on Jerusalem. And that's where Habakkuk is. Habakkuk, we know very little about the man. Uh, We do know that he probably lived about the same time as as Jeremiah. And while Jeremiah went to the people of God on behalf of God, Habakkuk goes back to God on behalf of people, maybe and perhaps for his own faith. And he asks the questions that you and I always want to ask. Why? Why this way? Why now? Now, he doesn't defend the people. They had abandoned God. They had given themselves over to idol. They had broken all of the commandments. They had um, resisted God when he threatened them. They had resisted God when he implored that they return to him. All of those times they had turned their own way, even though they knew judgment was the consequence of their decisions. Now judgment was coming. Habakkuk said, listen, I understand the judgment of that you're bringing against the people. But why the Babylonians? If you're going to punish the people of God for doing wrong, don't pick people who are worse. What lesson are they going to learn from this? That you're blessing people who are nastier than they are. This doesn't make any sense. It looks like you would have some righteous people carrying out righteous judgment, right? God reminds Habakkuk, there's not a king in power who doesn't work for me. The king of Egypt works for me. The king of Babylon works for me to carry out my divine purposes. There's not a ruler who sits in any kind of throne or behind any kind of desk that doesn't work for God Almighty according to his divine purposes. That hasn't changed, by the way. There's not a world leader in a position of power that is not there by the permission of the Lord God Almighty. They all work for me, he tells Habakkuk they do what I tell them to do. And right now, Babylon is the instrument of my judgment against the people of Jerusalem. He's doing exactly what I want him to do. So Habakkuk asks again, if judgment is coming, is there any way out? And God's answer? No. No. There's no way out. Now, you and I have this this kind of misunderstanding that if you follow God, you never go through any hard times. Right? I I don't know where we pick this up, but, but for some reason, we always get a parking place at the restaurant. You know, it always works out. All things work together for good. You know, I I don't know where you got that. You didn't get it from the Bible. (laughs) Okay, it's not in there. Uh, And I tell you this all the time. When when I pray, God, help me with this. I want God to grab me, throw me on the other side of the problem. Then I want to look back and say, that was tough. That was close. You know, That's not what he does. He doesn't save you from it. He saves you through it. Okay? So when I say help me through this, guess what? God takes me to the place I don't want to be, to do the thing I don't want to do, and we go through it. It took me years to understand why. The reason is if you go through it, you never have to be afraid of it again. Okay? If you jump over it, then you're always afraid that it's going to sneak up on you sometime later. Huh? The reason we're not afraid of death is that Jesus defeated death on death's own terms. Amen. Death has been defeated. We don't have to be afraid of it anymore. We've gone through that. Judgment. Coming to Jerusalem. There's no way out. God tells Habakkuk, I will save you through it, not from it. And the righteous will live by their faith. Faith is the confidence, the assurance that things are already done according to the way Jesus says they will be done. The future is already done for Jesus in his present tense. It's already finished. That's when we're confident that the future is how Jesus says it will be. Why? Because it's already done. Yes. We believe that. Now, because we believe that, we start living that way now in anticipation of what we will in, uh, experience when we are fully and completely with Christ. It is done. Now, because of that, we live a certain way now now and it is that righteousness that is that alignment with god's future presently that gets us through the tough times and the times of judgment that come but there's no promise of deliverance in the 12th chapter of jeremiah jeremiah is complaining about how hard it is to be a pro- to be a prophet god's word to him you've done pretty well in the day of the infantry but i'm about to send in tanks What will you do then? You've done really well in the flat, dry land where you've been walking. But the Jordan is about to overflow its banks. What will you do then? Lord, it is hard. I understand that. But what are you going to do when it is? gets harder. Habakkuk is the book that gives us permission to ask God hard questions. As long as you don't mind getting back hard answers from God. Like a macket, you don't have to be a political scientist to know something is very wrong in our nation. You don't have to be a great theologian to understand that the bill will one day come to you. When it does, Will you be one of those who are saved through it? Sermon on the Mount. Do you remember Sermon on the Mount? Matthew 5, 6, and 7. The Beatitudes, blessed are the peacemakers, blessed are those who seek and hunger and thirst after righteousness, all of that. you remember it? The last paragraph of the Sermon on the Mount, you remember it, okay? The man who hears my words and doesn't obey them is like the man who built his house, and the storms came, the winds blew, and the house fell because a man built his house on sand. A man who hears my words and obeys them, it's like a man who built his house and the storm came, and the winds blew, but his house survived because he built his house on the rock. The whole point of the Sermon on the Mount Five, six, and seven and all those beautiful words is for you to be able to build a house that stands when the storm comes. Okay? Now, notice what Jesus was telling his followers. One, everybody's building a house. Two, we pretty much use the same materials. Three, storms come to everybody. There's no free pass. There's no painless way to get through this. The storms come to everybody to everybody. The only difference is where you choose to build your house. On the rock or on the sand. And when the storms come, it will be too late to get ready. You will have to be ready. So what happens when judgment hits America? Will your house stand? What's more, will your house be big enough for other people to get inside? Will you become the safe place, the sanctuary which other people run when the judgment comes. Oh, don't be fooled. God isn't mocked. Whatsoever you plant, you will also reap. You don't have to know the future. You just have to know what was put in the ground. To know the harvest is coming. Is judgment coming? Habakkuk asked. Yes. Is there any escape? No. How will I get through it? The righteous will live by their faith. Oh, Habakkuk says, don't doubt it because it is delayed. Don't think it's not coming because it's not here yet. You have this moment of mercy to check your house before the storm gets here. Then it's too late. And you're making the decision right now whether or not your life, your house survives. And you're making that choice on where you build your house. Let's pray together. If your head's bowed and your eyes closed, listen, I'm not going to do anything to put you on the spot. I'm not going to embarrass you. But it's the first time some of you have thought about the foundation of your life or the place you have chosen to build your house. And you're not sure. We don't want you to live, leave and not be sure. So find one of our ministers. We'll be waiting for you at the Welcome Center. Go out of here and turn uh, right, and you'll see everyone's greeting there. You'll see the signs. Find one of them and ask how you can be sure, what you need to do. Find out about who Jesus is and what he's done and what he can do. Maybe you want to know more about our church. Please, you come. However the Lord has come to you now, he's waiting for you where you are. The church will wait for you as you come. Lord Jesus, every life is now open, every heart. So we pray now, the choices we make will be exactly what you